welcome to Wandering Berry Center, episode seven. Yep. I'm your host. January twenty second, twenty eighteen. Twenty third. Uh yeah, you're right. It is the twenty third. <laughs> wow. That's how it's gonna be, huh? Shout out to our buddies. Birthday was yesterday. Yep. So I'm Brian. Over there is Alex. Hey. And yeah, let's uh let's get moving. Get right into it. Yeah. So uh, uh, I think you're gonna go first. Yeah. This All week. right, Brian. Let me ask you a question. Oh, okay. Do you like coffee? Let me think hard about that. I love coffee. Me too. <laughs> I really enjoy it. What do you like about it? I think you're underselling. <laughs> <laughs> what? I think you're underselling your love of coffee. <laughs> what do I like about it? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Not even really so much the caffeine. I really could care less one way or other about the caffeine, but hmm. the the ritual aspect of, spe- at least specifically how I, I make my coffee, yep. um, that's really nice. And when you get it right and the coffee is the right strength and the right smoothness mm-hmm. and the water temp was the right, you know, all that. It's like the process nice. of making it all and, and then sipping on it and yep. having it and come out right. Having it come out right. There's mm-hmm. also that... Uh, just the what how do you say it? I guess the addictive quality of it in a way where in the sense that when you when the cup is ready and it's mm-hmm. there and it's ready to drink in that first sip it's like having the first sip of beer or whatever of the day yeah it really does have that effect yeah do you drink it in the morning yes I usually right now I'm I should say I'm down to uh one cup a day mm-hmm. and it's uh it's the second thing I drink I start off each day with a big glass of water nice nice yeah. I do a similar thing but definitely, after that water, quickly move to enjoying that first cup of coffee. It's great. The water really. is 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 a yeah is a must. I mean, <laughs> coffee is not really hydrating you. Let's be honest. So that water that way. water is definitely um, beneficial in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so I started uh, looking into coffee, um, and actually, before I begin on that. Um, I think I do like the caffeine part of it. Oh, it's nice. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> well, I tend to drink it before going to work out, so I kind of okay, I'd rather drink a, coffee a, rather than like some crazy, silly pre-workout stuff, so I just drink coffee. Right. I guess what um, I was getting at was like, actually, today I didn't have a cup of coffee. I, mm-hmm. had, um, I had some honey left, so I made a big cup of tea. Nice. And um, what I guess what I'm getting at is I don't necessarily rely on the caffeine. Yeah, definitely. That's probably, I think that's good. I was actually going to ask you if you ever worry about caffeine addiction, but you kind of answered it. I do not. On your on your own. Yeah, I try to take a break from, you know, the coffee a day or two a week just for that exact reason. <laughs> not that I'm drinking it all day long. It's usually just before the gym in the morning and then that's it. But um, still, good to not become reliant on things. Um, all right. So the first thing I found out, it is not a bean at all. Did you know this? What? I did it's not. It's not a coffee bean. And well, I it's a, my uh, ignorance might be shining bright right now, but it is not a bean. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll let you keep going in a second, but I guess it's, I do know that the thing that we know as the coffee bean is actually on the ins is the seed, I guess, of the... That's of right. what looks kind of like a cherry. You're exactly right. How did I you guess? I, 
Well, that part, I guess I only know from like some, I don't know. I couldn't even tell you exactly what, just some random YouTube video or something mm-hmm. probably. But I guess I never really considered the fact that that doesn't qualify as a bean. Yeah, so, no, they just get the name because they kind of, when they're done and in, in the presentable form that you typically buy coffee in, they kind of look like a bean. Um, yeah, they're the seeds inside of what's called the coffee or coffee cherry, which to me kind of looks like a grape when I look like or look at pictures of it, but whatever, it's called a cherry. Um, yeah, I thought that was, that just caught me off, off guard. I'll be honest. <laughs> I'm looking at them right now. They do look more like kind of look like a red grape, right? They do look like red grapes, yes. Yeah, but I guess that's yeah, semantics. I, I never really. That's funny because I I kind of I guess I knew that, but I never considered that. So what's a bean? Uh, not to digress too much. Well, a bean a... is an actual type of of food. It's a legume, right? Okay. Yeah. And then beans have their own seeds. Okay. And they're usually in, yeah, exactly right. So, Got it. Got it. Yes. Di- totally different type of, these grow on trees. Uh, the trees are actually quite big. They can be like 10 feet or more. Um, I think my ignorance might be shining brighter because I kind of knew this, but <laughs> didn't ever once consider the fact that they, it's not really a bean. So yeah, anyway. I just don't think I ever thought of it. Um. Yeah, so these are inside these coffee cherries, and there's usually two per cherry. So you get rid of the cherry part, and you've got two of these half-bean-looking things. Um, That's typical, but apparently um, a small percent of coffee cherries have one seed. And I don't know if there's any way to confirm it, but it's been theorized that the one-seed special coffee cherries have more potent flavor to them okay maybe all that coffee energy is into one bean instead of two that's exactly how i was gonna phrase it this coffee <laughs> this coffee energy <laughs> that's inter- the interesting thing though i mean the caffeine isn't like a process of of you know process or a byproduct of processing these it's actually just an inherent in the bean seed cherry thing um, it actually goes down through processing a little bit, um, okay. but yeah, it's there. Um, so I guess in theory, if you were to just eat one of these cherries, I don't know what that would taste like, but you could get the caffeine effects from that too. I think it's actually like a defense mechanism for the plant. I think the caffeine, the caffeine itself. Yeah. Like if you an animals to eat this and, you know, feel funny it... afterwards, then it might not, unless it likes the caffeine. I don't know. Yeah, you imagine an animal that comes across. They're not going to find just one coffee cherry, right, out in the wild. They're going to find a tree of them. Oh, yeah. So they're going to chow down on this and Mm -hmm. theoretically not feel good after. Um, Yeah, so I don't know. I forget how many, um, how much, like, coffee a single tree will yield, roughly, but quite a bit with, you know, all these berries on the tree, and then you have two seeds per, per thing, so... It's quite a bit. Um, but they take like nine months to ripen from the point where the tree is, I guess, producing the fruit and the flowers and stuff. It's like nine months later you could actually pick these off and begin the, the next part of the process. Right. Which there are um, like two 
general ways that you can um, take the take the cherry from the tree and extract the seeds um, and get them ready for the roasting process. So you can either take them off and extract the seeds and the they say it's easier, but it's definitely not as efficient is to take them and just lay them on like a concrete slab or some table that allows air circulation and just leave it in the sun and kind of like turn them over every once in a while and you just leave them there uh, in the sun and the heat until they dry out. Like the, the, the fruit part of the cherry sort of decays away? Kind of uh, thing? No, I think you have to get them, you have to get the seeds out of the cherry part first and then you oh. lay them and they're, in their raw state, they're like green. They look green, the seeds. Yes, they do. Yes. Yeah, and then you lay those out on like a tarp or something. How are they getting them out of the out of the cherry body? Um, squeezing them out by hand. I know that the the seeds are generally hand picked, or I mean the the cherries. So extracting the seed. That's a lot of work. I'm not sure. I'm sure you know Folgers has got a method that, um, you know you're mom pop growing their own coffee tree doesn't have but yeah uh, i didn't get into that too too much yeah um yeah and then the other way is to um basically like it's a form of washing them that actually gets them to the point of being able to be roasted i guess you have to wash off like some layer on the outside that it's like a not a mucus layer, but some part of the or, chair, some organic layer that coats the the seed itself, and that has to be removed. So it's either removed by letting it dry in the sun or washing it off. So hmm. okay. Folgers and Maxwell House are probably washing it off, whereas um, your specialty coffees are, if you really want to pay for it, letting it sit out and and dry that way. Right. Um. So I found, so there's actually somewhat of this like weird third way. I'm going to completely butcher all of this um, name, but the Kapi Luwak coffee, I think that's the name of, yeah, that's the name of the coffee, K-O-P-I space L-U-W-A-K. So this actually ties back to the fruit the caffeine being a defense mechanism which I didn't even realize so these coffee cherries are eaten by the asian palm civet which is a small mammal kind of looks like a i don't know if you look it up it's kind of um what does it kind of look like oh it's uh, uh not a rodent it's a little uh it's a mammal but Oh, what is that animal I'm trying to think of that they look like? A possum, a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. a little Kind bit. of possum-y. Black, though, I believe. They remind me also a bit of a ferret, but with yeah, a okay. cuter face. A little, little less scary looking. Yeah. <laughs> they're about, they're about, I'm seeing one on a guy's shoulder. They're about mm -hmm. the size of a ferret, though. Okay. And here's one eating coffee beans. Yep. Coffee, so they, coffee cherries. So they eat these cherries and then obviously digest it and the Cherries and seeds go through digestive enzymes and all that, and they changes the composition of it and whatever. Uh, then they poop it out, and people go in and harvest the beans <laughs> from the poop. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. And then continue the coffee-making process from there. <laughs> and 
this naturally gives the coffee a distinct flavor. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> do um, they wash? Do, do they wash them at all? I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe not. They, right? I maybe don't know. Not. Well, maybe if they don't wash it, don't what, whatever gross stuff is on there, poop mainly, um, <laughs> would be, would be sanitized during the roasting process. Right. Right. Maybe. Let's go with that at least. Um, so the real crazy thing is how much would you pay for a pound bag of Kapi Luwak coffee? That okay, probably the... stands for from poop. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I paid six bucks for my last pound of coffee, which is a good middle of the road coffee that my grocery store sells. I know other real good pounds of coffee go for like fifteen bucks a pound. Okay. Yeah. I mean, bear in mind much... you're 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 paying for somebody to dig through. The poop. <laughs> okay. I mean, how much would I be willing to pay? I'd, uh, prob- I'd probably. Yeah, I guess how much would you be willing to pay? I'd probably be willing for the first time. I'd probably pay forty dollars for the pound of that coffee. Okay. Well, apparently but, it sells for $160 a pound. Well, they're they're losing me as a customer. <laughs> wow, $160 I, a pound. Pretty intense, right? What are the uh why am I paying 100 beyond the fact that it's was covered in poop at one point? <laughs> I guess it's really are there beyond the taste I suppose yeah I mean it's going to have a flavor but that's all subjective there's nothing to say that it's the best taste in coffee right I mean I'm pretty happy with my six dollar yeah, coffee you prob- if you are buying this you probably if I was buying it I wouldn't tell people A how much I paid for it and B that it is poop coffee that's not <laughs> something I would, I would just be like here this is good coffee <laughs> let it be let, so, let me know what you think. Yeah, I think there's only so many many of these little mammals eating and pooping out the seeds, let alone the people willing to go and go uh, through the process. Um, so, you know. It's pretty obviously, there's demand niche. for it, too. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, yeah, I'd say it's probably a niche product. They're cute little guys, actually. Yeah, they're not bad. Okay, um, well, new business idea. Let's just get a couple of these and start feeding them. That's Let's true. Do Why do I have to go into the wilderness of Asia to create this? <laughs> I, just... I, I bet there's some form of... You couldn't probably bring these into the U.S. Legal Not everything's got to be legal. <laughs> Could you imagine getting busted for <laughs> that? <laughs> Sir, what's going on here? Charges are illegal coffee creation via unsanitary methods. Right. And illegal animal husbandry. Yeah, there you go. Good. Yeah, nice. Um, okay, so after you get the bean, excuse me, seed yep. extracted from the fruit, you throw the fruit away. Um, so lots of trash being made actually in the coffee process. I don't know if this is something that can be put in a compost. S- probably. I was I'm just sure going to say, a, I would, I would assume you could compost it. There's probably a secondary use. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, then the next step after you throw that away and you dry these beans out, whichever your method is, um, you got to roast them. So it is possible to buy unroasted beans for sure, um, but, you know, 99 out of 100 times you're buying roasted beans. Um, so what happens when you roast the, the bean is that the starches in the beans start to break down and turn into simple sugars, and then those sugars are what roast and turn the bean brown. Um, okay. Which is pretty they're interesting. Originally, they're, they're originally, originally green. green, yeah. Right. So they become brittle, and they actually grow in size, which makes sense. You're heating something up. It's expanding. Um, and then they get that kind of crack in the middle that, you you know, when you look at a roasted coffee bean, they've got that distinct... Uh, look to them right um and then while that's all happening starting at like 200 degrees celsius uh this oil starts to form i believe it's other certain oils that are present in the raw beans start to break down along with the starches and then the simple sugars form and so does this oil called caffeol c-a-f-f-e-o-l um caffeol Know, I'm, I'm guessing, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> well, this oil, it starts to form in the bean at 200C, and this apparently is the is primarily responsible for, like, what you would associate the coffee flavor and aroma to be. Not mm-hmm. 100%, but a significant portion is from this cafeol oil. Is that why the beans are, uh, so you, we buy uh, whole beans, right? Mm-hmm. Is that why it's wet? Um... It very well could be, yeah. Maybe that's why. I, I don't want to say for sure that higher quality beans coming are coming out with that sheen on them, but maybe that you is definitely noticed. Maybe you that's something. It. I've definitely noticed it on certain on certain beans. That's for sure. Whether it's that oil, or maybe some other type of oil um, coming out. Yeah. Yep. Um. So this is another totally obvious. Once I start reading it. Um, actually even way more obvious than the bean thing, but, um, still interesting. The level of roast, like a light, medium, or dark roast is right in name. I mean, it has to do with the temperature and probably the longevity of how you're roasting it. So, right. you know, lower temps, maybe shorter time, um, a light roast, and then going up there, a dark roast. Um, so that makes sense. I mean... But still, not really something you think about. You, I no, and it's I tend to think I, of like a light roast, medium dark, like intensity of flavor. But that's actually right. not totally accurate. And I guess I also associated that with caffeine levels. Yes, which is interesting. Um, it's a it's interesting you brought that up. Like, it's not consistent, but. If you were to, all right, let's put it this way. If you were to take the same bean from the same tree and take some and make a light roast, make a medium roast, make a dark roast out of it, the content of caffeine will actually decrease towards, you know, the darker you go. Okay. So it's actually opposite of, you know, what you're thinking. That being said, I did not know that. You're. I don't think you're ever buying or having the choice between a light, medium, and dark roast that's been made with the same beans. So that's not something you can really reliably say. Right. So it's possible that 
some coffee places or, or coffee brands choose a higher caffeinated bean to make their dark roast, thus making that true. But all else equal, it's actually the opposite. That is definitely unexpected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought so, too. Huh. So... And go and through full, these. Uh, yeah, go full, full disclosure, dark roast for the win. I mean, <laughs> well, that's been my go-to as well until I started reading this and learning about this more. Because I've never uh, really. I just was like, I like coffee. Let's drink it. Let's figure out how to. How <laughs> and to dark make roast it has. The, dark roast has the boldest flavors. Well, it depends. I actually, I would say that's that's probably true as far as boldness goes. But what I found out is that lighter roasts, something like a cinnamon roast or a New England roast is what they can be called. Those are just two examples. There's other names for uh, the different temperatures. Um, I should have took note of what these temperatures are, but they're lower. Um, I think it was like, let's say, 215 degrees Celsius is kind of where you might start roasting because you need to be over that 200 degrees C for that cafeo oil to start forming, right? So you need to be at least right. above that. So I think it was like starting at 215 and went all the way up to 350 plus, something like that. So these lighter roasts, when you're doing it that way, you get more like earthy and what they call origin characteristic flavors. So the flavors that are going to be a product of where the bean was grown, how it was dried the altitude, the season, whatever, all those things. Like, you know, a light roast bean from Ethiopia is going to taste way different than a light roast bean from somewhere else where they grow coffee. (laughs) Um, So you're getting more of those, like, those bean characteristic flavors. Like the environment type. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, As you increase the roasting... Um, the roast character or the roast flavor totally dominates the coffee. So the darker you go, the more the origin of the bean flavors are going away and you're just getting a roast flavor. So something like a French roast, it almost doesn't matter where that bean came from. Still probably want it to be a high quality bean, I'm sure. Interesting. But you're getting the flavors of the roasting process more so than the flavors of where and what type of bean. You're making me reconsider every coffee choice I've ever I had. I went through this already. <laughs> <laughs> As you're saying all these things, I'm like, I get dark roast at the diner all the time. Yeah. What am I doing? You're like, wait, I want to taste the earth or something, I think, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to taste Ethiopia or some other place. Right. I want the origin of the bean to mean something. Literally the the coffee that I just bought, I haven't even opened the package yet. It's a it's a dark roast, mm-hmm. and the reason I got it was because the whole bean selection at the grocery store is not that great. Right, and that was the only dark roast whole bean that I could get that was a reasonable price. So I don't and think I was, that's and I was completely driven by dark roast, <laughs> completely like yeah, no, I, totally I never understand. even questioned it. Yeah, I don't think that's to say. Or that you should think dark roast is lesser. No, no. no. I think it should be just opening up your 
options and considerations when all that when it looking means at, is I need yeah definitely I need two more jars so that I can have <laughs> light, medium, light and dark. medium and dark on hand yeah yeah, um, yeah so that <laughs> totally was like a whoa moment for me as well so I'm glad you experienced it too <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally thinking we were at the diner this past weekend and I, I just i'm like why did i get dark roast because i don't even think about it <laughs> that's why <laughs> oh man this is hilarious it's crazy right um i'm both by the way i'm both both blown away one the caffeine differences and the flavor differences like again not not that dark roast is inferior but i totally discounted the other roasts for reasons that are literally baseless <laughs> yeah i mean i'm right there with you it's i don't know why i think you know part of the dad. dark roast thing totally totally just <laughs> it's our dad. dad dad loves the dark roast so <laughs> naturally that's what we started drinking and that's what you latch on to so <laughs> at least there's uh you know a base behind that um okay so then and I know this is actually something we mentioned a couple episodes ago that sparked even covering this topic is flavored roasts. How the hell are they making French vanilla, French yeah. vanilla, hazelnut, and you know whatever these crazy flavored coffees that aren't real? I think I speculated at the time that that was just and the nature of like the bean itself and then the, we called that flavor you know mm -hmm. this is this is hazelnut whatever yeah. the hell that is yeah that would be nice that's not the case i was just gonna say it sounds like that's <laughs> not the case <laughs> um okay so you're gonna take roasted beans so they've already okay. been roasted okay let's say i want to make some french vanilla coffee yep i'm going to get some form of French vanilla flavor compounds. These could be natural, but most often and most likely are not natural. They're going to be some synthetic flavor compound from somewhere. Um, and then the real nasty part that's worse than that is they put in solvents to make this flavor compound stick to the roasted beans. And the solvent is propylene glycol. No. Yep. So that's no. That's used in like I think it's used in like de-icing liquids and yes, I'm not sure it if it's is. It I don't think it's in coolant. I think that's a different glycol in coolant, but it's in de-icing stuff. Um so that makes the compounds the flavor compounds stick. Um and that's like I checked multiple sources, I think four roughly, um and that there are other options for solvents that are probably gross too, but definitely propylene glycol is the number one used um, solvent. Um, give me a second. Vamp, hang on. Where did he go? I had to go get the package of coffee that I just bought. <laughs> is it flavored? No, I, I don't, I wouldn't, I was, that's what I was double checking. I wanted to, I wouldn't necessarily buy, or I wouldn't buy flavored, um, knowingly. So I wanted to make sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I understand that. 
Yeah. I'm going to um, check mine when I go upstairs. I'm assuming yeah. it's not it's not supposed to be flavored, but yeah. excuse me, but who knows? Yeah. Okay. I think we're cool. Yeah. So pretty nasty. Propylene so Isn't that crazy? I was pretty disturbed to find that out. Um, yeah, so Just like when the... you're, if you're ordering like some weird ass drink from Starbucks, it's probably got propylene glycol in it because they're using flavored beans for a lot of stuff. And just for the listeners, you know, propylene, if I, if I have my facts straight, or maybe it's the glycol part, one of those denotes the fact that it's oil, right? Isn't that, uh, do I have that right? Um, a type of I might I might be spewing bullshit. Well, let's just say uh, we could just read the first little bit here. Um, synthetic organic compound with chemical. We don't need to know that. Colorless liquid, which is nearly odorless but possesses a faintly sweet taste. Um, chemically, it is classed as a diol. Yep, D I O L. Yeah, that's right. And is miscible. Broad range of solvents. Miscable, miscable means dis, which is uh, means it can basically dissolve. I think. Um, well, okay, and so I suppose one of the obvious parts: propylene, propane, is uh, is one of the roots. Anyway, we don't have to. I for some reason I thought I must be thinking of something else, but I thought one of those, you know, chemistry and all that. Yeah, you can you can derive the root of something usually from its name. Propylene glycol is commonly used to de-ice aircraft. Yep. It's used in vape liquid. Mm-hmm. And coffee. I just can't imagine that, and I'm no expert, but I can't imagine that ingesting this, especially if you're drinking a flavored coffee daily, that can't be good. Probably not. The way I always think about this kind of stuff is, would you, if you were a caveman, or... Something slightly newer, but not modern. Would you ever, would propylene glycol or anything else ever make it into your diet naturally? If the answer is no, <laughs> generally speaking, it's probably not great for you. It may not be terrible, but it's not a net gain. So this is great. I love this a lot. The FDA labels it or classifies it as generally recognized as safe. Generally. Boy, that's the most non-committal statement I've ever heard. <laughs> that's, that's leaving themselves an out for the first person who dies. <laughs> hey, we said generally. <laughs> yeah. And all the evidence is based off of a study done on 12 rats in 1972. Perfect. No, no so, need to ever test again. No need to <laughs> use modern techniques on that. We're good. Or like, the pl- the, I don't think the plane th- dies from ingesting it, so maybe humans are probably rats. good too. <laughs> that's um, mind blowing. Yeah. That's that's a good. I'm glad you went and found that out because that was that did perplex me for a bit. The you know where the flavors come from. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, you know, like um, at work, for instance, they if you go to the little coffee shop, they keep the little carafes of coffee out front, so you give you just get the cup and you choose whichever you want. Not very often, but a couple times I've chosen a flavored one just, you know, for kicks, variety, sure. whatever. Sure. Um, yeah, that's over for sure. <laughs> just for those out there, too, if you can get away from your creamers as well, do that. <laughs> yeah. 
especially if it's non-dairy. I came across the website for um, like a local, not local to me, just a small um, coffee shop somewhere. I forget where it was, but whatever. They had like their own um, website going and they had a blog post about this and they were saying how they used to serve flavored coffee and then they found all this out and stopped serving it, you know, right at that moment. But the interesting thing about it is the way they told the story, they had a, what they referred to as a flavor salesperson come to their shop and say, hey, I can offer you basically the means necessary to turn your coffee into flavored coffee, i.e. the flavor compounds and the propylene glycol. And so it's like a, a salesman came to them and sold them this garbage, <laughs> which I thought was just wild. Yeah, it is. This whole thing is wild. Mm -hmm. I also just realized that I bet the flavor hazelnut literally comes from what I imagine must exist, the hazelnut. So there you go for being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wait, know where wait, French... Wait. Well, I postulated I, earlier, I was like, and, and also last week... I was like, well, maybe some some flavor out of this naturally occurred in this coffee bean, and someone was like, "That's hazelnut. Let's call it <laughs> hazelnut," as if as if there was no such thing as a hazelnut. And right, I understand. That's probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't real hazelnut, but it's close. Actually, yeah. that's probably the case. Um, yeah, real hazelnuts probably taste because you know those flavors. I mean, vanilla is a nice flavor. Hazelnut's mm -hmm. a nice flavor. I can see why they did all that. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I'm sure, you know, they, they taste good, but, um, all right. So let's, let's lighten this up a little bit real quick. Um, I wanted to ask you about at your place of work, um, coffee culture. So for me, good topic. It is, there's not everybody does this and it, this is really only one group that comes to mind specifically, but the coffee break is, a seemingly scheduled part of the day. I'm wondering if that type of thing happens for you. Um, yeah, but it's usually, it's not, it's not on paper. If that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. most people are getting up to get a coffee at like nine o'clock. Okay. Um, most people are having a cup of coffee at 11 mm -hmm. or I should say not most people, but you know, large groups. Okay. There seem to be a couple chunks of time where it's common to... To, to commiserate in the coffee break room. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. But, you know, it's a ghost town in there after three. <laughs> um, yeah, it's always this, for me, this group of, I think there's three or four of these guys, and they're always in there when I, uh, you know, a couple minutes after I get there in the morning, I notice them in there or, you know, within the half hour or something. And then two or three more times throughout the day, they're all in there together. Um, now mine is upstairs where I sit my break room, if you will, kitchen, whatever mm -hmm. is upstairs where the coffee is. So mm -hmm. I don't have visibility as to who's coming. And uh, going. okay. Yeah. But I mean, there are definitely regulars. I can usually, mm -hmm. you know, if I, if I go up there at one o'clock, I can usually expect to see like Ken or something, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's just interesting how it, I won't go into it now and I didn't take much note of it but if you go and kind of read 
the history on how the coffee break started and just, you know, the whole coffee, coffee culture as an actual thing. So, um, just where it all comes from and, and how we got to where we are today, where people are, you know, people who don't smoke, take coffee breaks. <laughs> yep. Yep. Stand around the water cooler or the coffee yeah, cooler. Pretty much. How do you guys, how's your coffee, uh, create, uh, brewed and, and oh, dude, dispersed? The, the in-house option is horrible. Okay. It's like an industrial coffee maker that you might find at like a cheap diner or something. Okay. Um, and so like, then go, go ahead, go ahead. It's and then it's just Maxwell House coffee. Oh, no. That's what. So I don't drink that. I just drink what I have in the morning myself. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's their coffee beans like any other. Um. But uh. Yeah, that's what is in the common room for people to have. So is it like a big machine that has? all the beans and everything already inside of it no. and you punch in what you want? No, somebody is in charge of bringing in the tub of Maxwell House and then it's just like the, it just heats the water and it has the restaurant style um, pots that just sit there on the, the heating pads. Okay. Yep. So you brew, yep. you know, so it's a drip brewer, just more commercial version of it. So we have this machine it awful. that... We have this machine <laughs> that... Um, it's a self-contained unit every day. Um, somebody's responsibility to open it up, clean it, replace the beans. It's got uh, a decaf, a dark, and a light roast hopper. It's got powdered milk, so you can get hot chocolate out of this thing. It's got hot Jeez. chocolate mix in there, too. So, And it's a touch screen, so you walk up to this thing and you punch in what you want. You can modify the strength of certain things. You can uh, that add awesome. milk to so it sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. Is it just operating as a drip though, regardless of all the fanciness? Is it still pretty just pretty much? Yeah. And there's two issues with that. One, I think the beans that we put in there are probably not great. Mm. Two, uh, there's just not, a, it's just not brewing it. The speed at which you hear the grinder, the time between in which you hear the grinder grind the whole beans. Cause that part's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. you, you load it with whole beans. Mm -hmm. So it grinds That's the nice. beans, but the, amount of time in between the beans being ground and the water falling into your cup is, you know, none. It's not and enough. And so you, you have a cup of coffee in 30 seconds. Yeah. And that's just from the way that I make coffee, at least in every way that I've ever, you know, it's just not enough time. And mm -hmm. you can tell the, it's weak. You can yeah. tell. Yeah. Um, Which is a shame because it's a waste of coffee. Yeah, that is a shame. It's too bad. You can't adjust that part of it. How does it get rid of the used beans? It, uh, there's a little servo in there that, so I met, there's this little mini hopper and that's where the ground beans end up and mm -hmm. the water passes through there. Mm -hmm. And that little mini hopper has a channel off to the one side that it just gets rotated and uh, a little jet of air blows <laughs> them into the, blows the, the wet, <laughs> you know, the wet grounds into a, a, a refuse hopper at the bottom. This is like a $20,000 coffee machine. Dude, I'll take a picture of it for you next time it's open. I got to see this she, thing. She cleans it every day at uh, like 3.15. It sounds hilariously unnecessary, but so it's cool. It's so crazy. It's so, it's a fan, it's a fascinating machine. It costs yeah. like legitimately, I tried to find it one day. Um, oh, I remember that actually. Yeah. They cost like 10 grand. So That's 
That's wild. You, we rent it. We don't even own it. We rent <laughs> it. So. Oh boy. Wild. All right. Well, I think um, I think that that about does it for coffee for now. Anyway, uh, can only handle so much. Um, maybe we can get into all the ways that it's possible to make coffee some other time. But for now, that, I think we'll that we'll, would be a good one. Yeah, we'll leave it at that for now. So my topic, uh, a little more topical, um, I wanted Whoa. to talk about uh, Bitcoin and the blockchain. So that's a big thing right now. I'm sure everybody, anybody who's any sort of tech oriented got asked about Bitcoin. Anybody, over the, anyone. Right. Who <laughs> they, got, they got asked about, uh, you know, from their grandparents or whoever. They got asked about Bitcoin over Christmas and what have you. So I just wanted to talk... Um, about the blockchain itself, so basically the code behind Bitcoin, and some of the more fascinating aspects of Bitcoin itself, some of the more, the fun ones, really. Um, full disclosure, right off the bat, I do have a little bit of investment in the three options that, well, the four now, but uh, Coinbase. So they don't, they don't, well, if they want to sponsor us, that would be dope. But so we're not obviously not sponsored and, and I, I have a very small investment. I put a couple of, a little bit into Bitcoin, a little bit into Ethereum and a little bit into Litecoin, but literally it's, it's compared to the numbers I'm going to talk about, it's pennies. Mm. So, um, Bitcoin is this digital currency that has been quite popular lately and it's uh sometimes called a cryptocurrency and it's kind of confusing and i think a lot of people don't really have any idea really what it is i know a lot of the price fluctuation that's been happening in its in its market is seems to be just a lot of people buying into it because they heard about it and you know they're not really understanding really what it is so what it is, Bitcoin, and, and really most um, cryptocurrencies, I guess is the general term if you want, what they're designed to be is a decentralized currency. And what that means is nobody really controls the currency. So the American dollar is what's called a fiat, F-I-A-T, kind of like the car company, or mm -hmm. exactly. It's yep. called a fiat currency. And way back in the day, uh, when we first issued our currency for America and, and most other uh, countries as well, you know, each dollar was good for a particular amount of gold. You could literally walk to the bank. It was called the gold standard. Mm -hmm. You could literally walk into the bank and say, I have $10. Please oh, give me right. $10 worth of gold. Ex exchange it for gold. Right. We also had the silver, stand, uh, silver standard for a while. So instead of gold, you could get silver, mm -hmm. which was nice because it was more readily available, a little bit cheaper. Um, so that's no longer a thing. You can't go to the bank today with $10 and get what would be a flake of gold. <laughs> <laughs> um, so fiat currencies, they're not, it's not entirely referencing the fact that they are backed by something, but they're more in more general sense. It's a it's a centralized currency. The Federal Bank of America of the United States uh, is the one that prints the money. They control the circulation. Mm -hmm. 
Right. They're sort of the keepers of the money. And it's also funny, uh, they are not a federal institution at all. Uh, the fact that they really? are called, they are not a government institution. It is a private entity. What? So your American dollar is actually controlled by what is effectively a private company. The Federal Bank of the United States is a bank. It's not a government institution. That's interesting. So I know that. what's interesting about that is it makes people very distrustful because basically the Federal Bank can just print as many dollars as they want. Right. right. Sure. And they've been doing that. Something called QE, quantitative easing. They've been doing that uh, at an accelerated rate since uh, 2008. So. Bitcoin is the, quote, answer to a centralized currency. And the big selling point, I suppose, is that um, Bitcoin, every single, what makes it so interest or valuable, I suppose, is that every single transaction is viewable by the public. It's what's called a decentralized public ledger. Mm -hmm. So any transaction, I'll explain how in a second, any transaction is basically in this what's called a blockchain and is is mathematically verifiable. So every single transaction that's ever occurred with Bitcoin, you can actually point to it on the blockchain and say, there's the transaction right there. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I give you a dollar and then you give that dollar to somebody else, they have no idea where the dollar came from. Right. So what that means is every single person who cares to know can see every single Bitcoin transaction that's ever existed. So it makes it incredibly hard to fraudulate. So what does that, stopping you there for a second, what yep. does that look like if I wanted to go and look up a transaction? I mean, what is that search process? Am yep. I, do I go and find some crazy code that I then need a lookup table to decode or how does that kind look? Of, what does that look like kind of yeah it, w it would be difficult to uh it, it wouldn't be difficult but you would need some outside information so the way let me I, let me answer your question in a bit of a long way so what a blockchain is at its most basic form is a series of pieces of information that reference both ahead and backwards so think of each, think of them as nodes on a line, mm -hmm. boxes on a line, and mathematically each box points to the box before it mm -hmm. and to the block, I should use the word block. So each block points to the block behind it and when the time comes, will point to the block ahead of it. And the pointing is, so is, a math, is basically a mathematical calculation that only has one answer. So is this chain completely linear or does it branch? It is. Com well, it's got some branches. Good. Excellent question, actually. It's got some questions. It does have some branches for certain things, but mm -hmm. you can, for practical purposes, it's one giant chain. So then in theory, a transaction can, only one transaction can happen at any given point. Excellent observation. Uh, yes. The way you would get around that, and actually it's actually one of Bitcoin's issues, the way you'd get around that is just raw computing power and you yeah. just process a million of them a second or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they actually Bitcoin... They up, basically. Right, right. But Bitcoin actually, uh, the blocks are each a megabyte in size, which really? is actually kind of, kind of big. That, that is large. Why? 
Just because um, each block stores previous and future information? Well, there are other newer blockchains that are much smaller. Mm. So I, I couldn't actually answer. Uh, that's well beyond my yeah. developed coding that's knowledge. That's interesting, though. So um, your question of could you go to a particular transaction? Yes. So the if you're so inclined, you can download and also with other programs keep up to date. You can down anybody can go download the entire blockchain. It's actually currently, uh, well, actually the Litecoin blockchain is about eight gigs in size right now. I don't know how big the Bitcoin one is. So you can download the blockchain, and if you know, uh, so the Bitcoins are all stored in digital wallets. They're called, which are mm -hmm. basically just encrypted blocks. Mm -hmm. If you know your um, if you know your address, your wallet key, which you should, um, and you know the time at which you executed the transaction, yeah, you could you could theoretically go through the blockchain and find your transaction. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, is the purpose of that to keep people honest? Because Absolutely. I know what you've purchased. Therefore, if I need to go prove something, I can theoretically do that. So here's the thing: if you, let's say, you wanted to try and give yourself fifty bitcoins. Mm -hmm. you would have to somehow insert your block into the blockchain and basically mathematically slot it into place, which for purposes or for reasons well beyond this podcast is somewhat impossible. Right, right. Because you're not, you don't have all the information you would need to do that hmm. by design. So it's impossible for someone practically impossible for someone to effectively give themselves any amount of Bitcoin. Okay. So yeah, a de it's a decentralized public ledger. And mm -hmm. so by design, everybody who cares to know is aware, technically speaking, aware of every single transaction. And what, what you're really doing when you do that is you're, you're participating in the validation of the blockchain. You're not, you're not necessarily going and looking at specific transactions. But every time you update your blockchain, the math that's involved um, that basically verifies that node A is, is correctly pointing to node B, then mm -hmm. to C, to D, so on and so forth. Every time you validate the blockchain, you're validating that all the math lines up mm -hmm. and therefore everything is, is secure. Interesting. So the second somebody tries to pull something funny and screws up the chain, it'll, it'll break. Be it'll break and people will know it'll it'll be it'll be like it'll be so obvious but okay that's all well and good but whose responsibility is it to handle something like that if something were to happen if this is totally in the public's hand per se um well in practical purposes if if a heist if you will or a fraudulent bitcoin transaction were revealed mm -hmm. that would be the end of bitcoin because you've fundamentally broken it. So to answer your question is there is no one. The code is the someone that is responsible for maintaining the integrity of Bitcoin. So, I mean, that would be a, somebody looking to cause trouble. That's a pretty Absolutely. good avenue. Absolutely. Cause a lot of people some money. Yep. Hmm. I'd imagine that's not the easiest thing to do in practice, but... No, I mean, and and it's one of the design mantras of Bitcoin. It's right. you know, it was specifically designed to not allow that. Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, it's it's pretty solid. I mean, the encryption levels of the blockchain and, and the way all the math works out, it's, it's, I mean, nobody's done it yet where, or at least that we're aware of, where somebody's inserted extra data into the blockchain. Nobody's mm-hmm. ever done that. Right. Another, um, go ahead. Oh, it's just these days it seems like things that everybody thought were encrypted and safe really aren't. So fair. Know, not not yeah. saying that everything that's encrypted is as vulnerable as the next thing, but you know, it seems like things we once thought were safe really are not as safe as we assumed. Yeah, uh, that's true. And this is all, you know, this is the wild west as far as investments go. Bitcoin is um, you know, I would anybody listening to this, you know, don't don't listen to us as far as, you know, we're not here to give you investing advice or anything like that. No, no. no. It's crazy. I mean, I, the amount of money that I referenced earlier is is the amount of money that if it blinked out of existence, it'd be fine. Mm-hmm. Because because I fully fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that'll happen, but I'm prepared for it too. Prepared for Bitcoin to completely go to zero basically. Right. Yeah. Can I ask so, another question? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you talked about the size of the chain, data-wise. Yes. Who's yep. responsible for storing it? Who's hosting it? You. Uh, there's no. It's okay. decentralized. There's no. There's no server. There okay. was a, a. There was a genesis block. So I'll, I'll get to the origin of Bitcoin. It's pretty fascinating. But um, you know, there was a specific moment in time where. Uh, somebody had it was to put in one the, spot. It was in one spot, but right. that quickly changed. So the chain is stored in multiple and, locations all throughout everybody who's taking part in this. Yep. That's fascinating to me. Which makes it even harder to yeah. fraudulate. Because right. let's say you somehow modify your blockchain to, to, to look right. Well, guess what? The very existence of your additional block won't match up with the rest of everybody else. Is every so, block pointing to every other block or is it no, just the next? No. Cuz why let's just for simplifying, I have two blocks. Why can't I cut the block the two blocks in half so that it's pointing to the right to the next person as they expect? It's pointing the other one is pointing to the left as that person expects and I insert more stuff in between my two blocks. I'm the only one who has to know. Because one of the you can't if you're going to go the route of downloading the blockchain itself and participating at that level mm-hmm. you can't just download part of it oh you can't just part of the blockchain wouldn't really function properly hmm. because so, it's so, a part of the whole deal is that you can literally go to the what's called the genesis block the very first bitcoin transaction mm-hmm. all the way up to current day that's part of the okay. math that's involved so it's stored in, as a whole unit. As a whole unit, but multiple times over everywhere. Everywhere. So yep. my locally stored unit needs to get updated updated, excuse me, when a transaction happens. Absolutely. It'll get updated and, and move on from there. Yep. Yep. Okay. Got it. Interesting. <sighs> it's amazing, really. It is. It's very it's very abstract compared to So another key difference between uh, this one's specific at the moment at least to Bitcoin, and I'm sure there, there are probably other, what, what are called altcoins also, uh, other versions of cryptocurrency probably have this as well. But one of the major differences between Bitcoin 
which I'll get to in a second, was specifically designed by this guy, Satoshi Nakamoto, to uh, counter the fiat currencies. There's a finite number of Bitcoins. Right. There, yeah. there's, a, there's a particular amount of Bitcoins that will ever exist, and that's enforced, again, mathematically. Um, whereas the dollar, there's no limit to how many U.S. dollars the, quote, federal U.S. bank can print. So that instantly, the fact that there's a finite number of them uh, instantly makes it, uh, adds a, an element of scarcity, mm-hmm. which instantly drives up the value in a certain sense. Um, but doesn't, just like the way we validated the, val, validated value, um, the dollar with gold, isn't there the only way to assign a value to Bitcoin is to have something to reference against, yes. i.e. the dollar? Yes, in a, in a sense. So the way the current U.S. dollar has value is that we just trust yeah, in right. the system. There's right. literally... The f- but it started out with something to it did. be real, which so I guess Bitcoin- is what Bitcoin's doing against the dollar. Right, right. Yeah. Bitcoin is is taking its finite value, I'm sorry, finite amount, and saying there will never be this, there will never be more than 21 million is the number. Uh, there will never be more than 21 million Bitcoins uh, mm-hmm. in existence. And so what then gives it value, actual real value, is that somebody's willing to accept a Bitcoin right, for, for sure. some good or service. Mm-hmm. Just like right now, the only thing that gives the American dollar value is the fact that you're willing to accept, uh, you know, $10 for a sandwich. Right, right. There's nothing, you know, once I have that well, $10. Well, a good sandwich. Well, <laughs> not only that, but once I accept that $10 from you and give you your sandwich, I, I'm trusting that the next guy that I need who right. has, I don't know, coffee uh, is also going to accept my dollar. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing giving the U.S. dollar value, and in reality, it's the only thing giving Bitcoin value. That's a lot of. There's a, a lot of debate for that. You know, a lot of places. Um, there are definitely places where you can liter- spend directly. You know, give one Bitcoin for something. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of places a, require you to transfer it, right? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's a. It's an interesting market space because yeah. right now you know you couldn't just go to your grocery store right now and spend bitcoin to get groceries mm-hmm. if that were ever to occur bitcoin has won in my opinion hmm. so do you see bitcoin as a long-term solution or is this just a stepping stone and moving away from where we, where we are today the creator certainly sees it as the solution Personally, um, I'm holding my my very small investment. I don't really have a plan to sell it. Um, it'll. I'm not really sure. It would be it would be enormous, and it would be history making if all of a sudden the euro, the dollar, you know, the peso, whatever, was just replaced by Bitcoin. It'd be turmoil. It would be, be crazy. Crazy, but. Because that what happens is, to all the people who didn't get in? Uh, Nobody's just going to give me Bitcoin. For dollars, because it's worthless, right? right? Right. So all of a sudden, right. I'm just poor. Yep. And I have nothing other than yep. stuff. Yep. Hopefully. 
Yeah. Which I could then, I guess. And you start, and then you start working for bitcoins instead right. of dollars. You right, start right. going to work sure. and hope you get paid in Bitcoin rather than in dollars. Mm. That's fucky. So, I mean, that is the stated purpose of Bitcoin. So on October 31st, 2008, this unknown person, and we still don't actually know who it is because it's just a, a fake name, basically. This guy, Satoshi Nakamoto, released uh, to some... Basically, there were very, very early forums and whatnot and like an email uh, mailing list that was already talking about cryptocurrencies in general. And he released a white paper basically explaining what Bitcoin was. Mm -hmm. And under this moniker, Satoshi Nakamoto. And then a couple days later, January 2009, um, all this, excuse me. Um, basically, the Genesis block was created and uploaded to one place, uh, which was then, you know, eventually copied and so on and so forth. And it began. Hmm. And just so, like that. just like that, basically, the, so the Genesis block required it was for ten bitcoins, uh, no, fifty bitcoins. Sorry, the first ever generation of bitcoin was was for 50 bitcoins so the genesis block is worth 50 bitcoins and um special code was needed for that one because obviously there's no block behind it so it can't it can't reference the block behind it Mm -hmm. but yeah uh ever since then um it's uh it is sort of under there are developers that work on certain things but uh you know ultimately the code of bitcoin was released and the blockchain was released on January, or you know, in January 2009, and uh, you know we've been rolling ever since. And they're they're definitely not all claimed at this point, right? Well, so are we getting close? Oh no, we're not even close. No. So, um, how many did you say there are? Seven million? Twenty-one million. Oh, twenty-one million. Um, I don't. I didn't want to go into the mining part of it too much. Um, yeah. Basically, the basically computing power. If you can take a bunch of computing power, the way it works is the bitcoins are are quote unquote mined out of a very long, complex mathematical calculation, mm-hmm. and computers are working to solve small chunks of the greater what is basically just busy work for computers. Uh-huh. And every time a milestone in the calculation is reached, that's when a Bitcoin payout happens. <laughs> so taking into certain factors, the way the calculation works, all that, uh, they estimate that the last Bitcoin will be mined in 2140. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. And that's the only way to get them? Yes. Okay. Well, or buy them from someone. Sure, sure, but that's yeah. the only way to get new ones that aren't out in the market. Correct, yep. So what's the code look like? And maybe you don't know, I don't know, but let's say you have a Bitcoin, whatever, and you you know, buy something from me. We have a transaction. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's part of the chain. I have that Bitcoin for a while. I then use the same Bitcoin to make a transaction later, are those two blocks in the chain linked in a special way compared to 
two random Bitcoins? Or once the Bitcoin's traded hands, is it just neutral again? I would think the latter because mm. the way it works is everybody has a, like I said, a wallet, which is basically just a, a digital address. Mm-hmm. Um, you can think of it like your a, a digital mailbox or something, I guess. Digital bank account. Digital bank account, yep. Um, and those are what you can see. So like, you can go out to the blockchain and see that a particular wallet has X number of Bitcoins in it. Uh-huh. Um, and then some amount will be transferred from one wallet to another. So to that end, it's quite interesting. So the initial Bitcoins, um, which... Uh, basically, the, the public Bitcoin transaction log, uh, he's got a couple of wallets, but whoever Satoshi Nakamoto is, some speculation that it's Elon Musk, I have no idea. Really? Yes. <laughs> of course. Um, the public, you know, the fact that you can see all this stuff, um, it's and the fact that you know, you kind of, you basically know who the, the, the beginning, you know the address of the very first wallet has mm-hmm. to be Satoshi, right? Because there was only one. Yeah. So through some other methods that I don't fully understand, basically they think that whoever is in control of that first wallet is in control of roughly 1 million Bitcoins, which as of uh, December 2017 was $19 billion <laughs> in, U- in U.S. dollars. Yeah. A very large percent of all Bitcoins. Yes. Uh, 1 million out of 21 million. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's, that's Bitcoin and the blockchain. You know, it's a very fascinating thing. So I wanted to go through a couple of just crazy, I guess, facts about it, but uh, more than just, you know, reading off a list of stuff. Um, one of the more fascinating things is the idea, the concept of lost Bitcoins. So when the Bitcoin goes into a wallet, mm-hmm. whoever has access to to that wallet, it's encrypted. So you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta have the ability to open the wallet, basically. Yeah. And that the wallet, which is basically just code, you know, bits of data, mm-hmm. if exists on a hard drive mm-hmm. through one method or another, uh, people have lost those hard drives or lost the keys to get into the wallet. Or the person died. There, or died, any number of things. So basically, uh, it's estimated um, basically estimated by looking has any Bitcoin moved in or out of this wallet in X number of years, it's estimated there are roughly 4 million lost Bitcoins. Whoa, or, really? Or roughly out of 21? 19%. Whoa. Hmm, that seems pretty high. It does seem pretty high. There's 1 no... million of those I think is Satoshi, but I don't know. Hmm. There's no way to recover them. Can't, not, can't erase no. them theoretically and nope, nope. That hmm. would break the mathematical link. Right. So in theory, it can all go away. It kind of yeah. It's it is very it the fine it, it that begs the question like what if what if seventy five percent of them like as you say people start dying mm-hmm. and nothing's inherited. What happens in what happens and you know. 2200 however the hell you're going to say that i don't even know um <laughs> 2200 the year 
you know, what happens if enough people have died that 75% of all Bitcoins are quote unquote lost? I have, they're going to leave room for something else to come in or the value just goes to a ridiculous level. Um, one of the other something decent. Uh, so Nakamoto's bitcoins have not moved since the day they were created. They have not left the wallet that they've been sitting in since they were created. Mm-hmm. If Man, they what's do, that guy's life like? If they do well, I mean, he's never cashed out. Yeah, true. Uh, if they do move, it will probably be the end of Bitcoin. So basically. This guy, whoever this guy is, has put Bitcoin out there as a direct competition to the American dollar and mm-hmm. all other fiat currencies. Right. If he were to cash out in any in any capacity, the, that immediately says has he lost confidence in right. Bitcoin? Right. Right. Uh, is it all a scam? The you know the dream is dead. A lot of people consider at least. Right. If if that those bitcoins if those bitcoins move, they a lot of people consider that as a indication that it's the experiment is failing. Right. Right. It's over. Yep. Interesting. The FBI currently has about one hundred and fifty thousand bitcoins. Most of those were stolen from their heist. Of the Silk Road, That's amazing. which was of course. which was a uh, a dark web website where, among and buying almost anything, you could buy drugs and and other things, the nefarious things. Human the FBI, cards. yep the the FBI raided the supposed. I I don't know. I don't know if he's been convicted. Maybe he has, but basically they raided this uh, this guy, and they were able to get a hold of a bunch of of wallets. And so, yeah, the FBI actually has about 150,000 Bitcoins. Um, The Winklevoss twins famously claimed that Mark Zuckerberg took their idea for Facebook and stole it. Sometime around 2013, they started investing. uh, No one's sure exactly how much they bought. But at the time, they bought roughly 1%. I'm sorry, nobody's sure how much they actually invested, but somewhere's on the order of uh, 1% of all the Bitcoins that existed in 2013, so about 120,000. Wow. Uh, they have not sold either, so they're, uh, you know, on paper, they're rich as hell, even mm-hmm. more so. Um, they actually generated price hype once people found out that they were buying into it. These are the people you said that claim their idea for Facebook was stolen? Yeah, the Winklevoss yeah. twins. Winklevoss twins. Yeah, That's a so weird some name. people th- basically uh, the the rough estimate is that they invested 11 million back in 2013. So each Bitcoin was worth maybe 150, 200 dollars, or or I'm mm-hmm. sorry, no, way less than that, 10, 50 dollars. So back in uh, 2011, depending on what time in 2011, one Bitcoin was worth 20 dollars. Today, one Bitcoin right now, let me see if I can pull it up in time without wasting time. Right now, Bitcoin is trading at $10,600. 
That's awesome. So if you had bought one Bitcoin in 2011 for $20, that single Bitcoin would be worth $10,685 right now. That is amazing. It was as high as 19000 yeah. a few weeks ago. Right. Just in, in the investing world, it's astronomical. It's right. Totally. unheard of. Have the, uh, the Winklevoss brothers or twins or whatever, have they cashed out? If they have, it's been very small amounts. Yeah. Because if they were ever, I mean, on the one hand, it would take a long time to find buyers for 120,000 coins. Hmm. But you True. also couldn't, you know, it wouldn't be smart of them to dump all that at once because you would drive the price down. All of a sudden, you're you're ramping up supply. Yeah. You're, you're shooting your own self in the foot. Mm-hmm. Sure. So last thing I wanted to go talk about was the blockchain itself. So basically the idea of these self-referencing blocks. Mm-hmm. Other uses of it, because it has way more uses than just cryptocurrency. Basically, this technology can be used for anything that you want to protect, basically. Any digital information that you want to protect and you want to be able to prove is yours. So voting over the internet. If you had a blockchain that kept track of everybody's voting, hmm. you'd you'd never be able to insert fraudulent votes. Um, audit trails for like stocks and all that. You could never falsify audit information because of the blockchain. Um, version control on documents, a very pedestrian use, but you'd never you'd never get out of sync with versions because if you had a blockchain, you'd always be able to go grab the latest. That's a very mundane use of it because that mm-hmm. isn't really a problem. But um, the mining aspect of Bitcoin, so basically getting a large amount of computers together and focusing their computing power can be, you know, the way that the blockchain works and the way the mining works that has applications in anything that has, that requires a lot of calculations. So there are scientific experiments and whatnot that require a lot of computation and a lot of time Mm -hmm. uh, that you could pool together computers that are otherwise unconnected and apply their computing power to whatever your problem is rendering a photo any uh photoshop people or blender people out there you know rendering video and photo you could you know the computing power is is one of the factors and how long it takes right so you you know if you have the ability to pull together computers Hmm. uh you could use it there protecting your identity um is another one any form of i mean it's it's another it's a form of encryption essentially so any digital right. stuff that you wanted to keep track of um and then one of the ones i thought was really neat was uh like medical records hmm. um basically a centralized blockchain that has everybody's medical records in it interesting well it's sorry that's actually the wrong word a decentralized because right everybody would have you know, it, it would be encrypted and you would have to, it would work just like Bitcoins. It's not like, it's not like I can just go pick a spot in the blockchain and be like, yep, there's Alex's Bitcoins. Yeah. You know, you need more information than just that to identify uh, who owns a particular Bitcoin. Same thing would go with a medical record. You and your doctor would know the, the, the additional pieces of information that would then be needed to go grab your specific records. Mm-hmm. Um so who would hold, going back to Bitcoin, who would hold that information and make that possible? 
Because if that's not possible, then doesn't it kind of take away from the whole point? Is what possible, sorry? Going to look up a specific transaction or Bitcoin holder or whatever. Well... That accountability needs to be needs to be there for it to work, right? Well, I mean, the one the one part of the accountability is the math itself. Yeah, the, right. True. The You're relying on the computation to very very much so. But then yeah. the other side of it is you, uh, if if you have been personally scorned, you have you yourself have enough information to go find the transaction. Got it. Okay. Gotcha. Because you you will at least be able to find your block. And then you'll be able to see where your block is pointing. Right. I understand. So all those examples, well, not all of them, but a lot of them make me wonder if this is the type, these are the types of things that make uh, certain government organizations want to have control over the internet is all of this type of stuff that's going on and the it possibilities. Is, it is a significant way to provide both anonymity and security mm -hmm. which and 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 lack of control really no one person can or no one entity absolutely you're right cannot it's not possible theoretically at least it's not possible for them to manipulate right hmm uh, yeah, it, it is a it is a direct. I mean, so the um, yeah, I didn't go through the white. You know, I didn't necessarily go through the white paper or anything. But yeah, it's you know he like I said a few times he you know whoever this guy is released this as a direct answer, if you will, to the problem that is government controlled. Groups. Right, right. That's yeah. that is bold. Takes it is. There's a piece of text embedded in the... Did I save it? Ah, oh, shit. There's a piece of text embedded in the Genesis block mm -hmm. um, that validates... Uh, it's a it's a it's from a Time article on January 3rd, 2009. Uh, here it is. The Times, 03 Jan 2009, Chancellor on Brink of Second Ballot for Banks. Bailout for Banks. So it's in reference to a... Um, Time magazine article that came out on the 3rd of January mm -hmm. and it's in the Genesis block and the timestamp of the Genesis block uh, is such that it, it's another level of security because the Genesis block is arguably the most important one. Mm -hmm. So he put a few things in that to basically really communicate that this was not doctored in some way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. And I didn't even. I actually had the the Wikipedia pages pulled up because I was going to read from a few things, but um, I think we've we've talked about it enough. It's it's amazing, really. Um, Be interesting to see where it goes. That's it for sure. Be. It's amazing too that nobody, as far as I'm, I mean, as far as I'm aware, and, you know, nobody knows who this guy is. I I'm nobody. going with the Elon Musk theory in my head just for fun. It's a fun thought, right? Because that would be scary at the same time. But maybe good. It's an interesting thought experiment. Uh, uh, just a fun little uh, one of the one of the first Bitcoin's transactions. One of the Jesus, <laughs> one of the first Bitcoin transaction 
was literally two people meeting physically and I agreeing on the uh, value of it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the early notable transaction, this is how cheap Bitcoin was, 10,000 Bitcoin, which today would be worth $100,000, was used to buy two pizzas from Pop John's. (laughs) Oh my God. 10,000 Bitcoins, you said? Yeah, 10,000. Wow. Wow. There are horror stories out there of, like I said, people losing the hard drives that had their keys on it, uh, losing thumb drives that had their keys on it. NPR just did a story the other Wait. day. That's $100 million. Oh, shit. <laughs> Even better. What if I decide, is there anything here if let's say i had 10 bitcoin on a hard drive and so did you and if we swapped hard drives any like physically anything happening there not really right the, assuming well, no, we gave the, each other the keys yeah okay there you go i mean in one sense the the unique wallet address of those bitcoins is unique so you mm-hmm. would it would be like you handing me your wallet your locked mm-hmm. wallet that had 10 dollars cash in it yeah it would be like if you and I exchanged wallets. Right. Just we both the still have 10 bucks. Yeah. We, we, but the physical or digital wallet that they're in has actually changed. Right. So, you know, the, the wallets are what are unique. Mm-hmm. Hope all that made sense. You know, when I was writing down these notes and whatnot, I was like, oh, this will be real fluid and nice. And no, I think it's, uh, you broke it down quite well for people. So I think that's good. Just remember, I suppose the biggest things to take away from it, from from my perspective, are not so much Bitcoin itself, but its intention. Which I was is... say the the fact that there's people out there that are willing to make an attempt at proposing Fighting. an alternative to to yep. what we have now, which is just yep. a pretty abstract thought. Yep. Definitely the takeaway. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Sweet. And be careful. Uh, be careful investing. It's um, it's like the Wild West out there. It's crazy. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> really, it's actually ill-advised. There are plenty of success <laughs> stories, but there are way more horror stories. Mm-hmm. So, some uh, guy ate a you know fifty million dollar pizza. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> that you better have gotten hella toppings on that thing, uh, right? So uh, it's just a little bit of personal. I I was aware of bitcoins. Back in 2011, in college, I mean, I was aware when they were two dollars a pop. Mm-hmm. But at that time, you were like, "What the hell is a Bitcoin? Like, right. what? What is this?" And really, at that time, there was nowhere to. You couldn't. You couldn't. I mean, getting a pizza was difficult enough. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't do it. You know. So, in that sense, it's like it hurts a little bit that I didn't even buy one of them. Right. Yeah, well. but um, but it was also way harder. You know, today we have apps like Coinbase or whatever. Actually, buying uh, or engaging in a Bitcoin transaction in the very early days was actually pretty difficult. So, yeah, we'll see. It's leveled off. 
the past few days. It's been hanging around 10,000, but like yeah. I said, about about a month ago, it was all the way up to 19,000, which was just bonkers. That is bonkers, to say the least. So, all right, enough rambling. <laughs> all right, what do you mean? This is, this is Wandering bon- uh, Bear Center. It's kind of <laughs> kind of part That's of true. the name, almost. That's true. <laughs> I guess I was looking at the timestamp and thinking... We probably lost seventy five percent of the people who started with us this time yeah. anyway by this point. Maybe. Eh, it's, okay. <laughs> it's all good. Okay, well uh I think that wraps else? it up, right? Yeah. I think so. So yeah. uh thank you for listening. Yep, thank you. If you want to reach out to us, uh wanderingberrycenter at gmail dot com mm-hmm. is the current email address, although very shortly here we'll have some exciting changes in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Alrighty. Take care, everybody.